0: See, this weekend I've been talking about how every Christian knows what it's like to struggle with ongoing patterns of sin. I mean, if you're here this morning, please don't raise your hands, but I'm sure that you can agree that there is some ongoing pattern of sin that you are dealing with. Pray you're dealing with it. Some of us just let it be. But my, my prayer is that you're dealing with this ongoing struggle. And for some of us, it just feels as if there's no way of overcoming. That we'll never overcome the addiction of a certain sin. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, but what are you going to say differently than what I have read and listened to when it comes to overcoming lust, overcoming depression, overcoming worry? What are you going to say differently? This morning. I don't know if I will say anything different than what you've heard because the gospel is pretty clear. The gospel is explicit. Firstly, on Friday night, we spoke about how sinful behavior starts in the heart, isn't it? What does James tell us? Why do we sin? Is it Satan that tempts us or is it our hearts? James says it's our hearts. It's the desire that is in our hearts. And once that desire has given birth to sin, Paul tells us now we have another problem to deal with, the wage of sin. Yesterday morning, I just briefly spoke in a devotion, emphasizing two points. And it's this. There are biblical truths that we need to turn to if we want to change. Are you with me? But there are also desires, sinful desires, that we need to turn from. See, that's how repentance works. Repentance means we are turning away from something, but we're turning to something else. And repentance then is our turning away of sin and our turning to Jesus Christ. Now you're just basically caught up. Yay, just did two sessions. That's incredible. Now this morning we talk about sin and change. Because I believe if we want to effectively answer the four following questions, then we will be on our way to constant change. There's a brief outline for you this morning. I've got four questions for you. And we're going to pursue these four questions and try and answer them effectively according to God's word. So number one, what stops you from change? Have you ever asked yourself in in that moment of despair, in that moment of giving into the temptation of sin, have you ever asked yourself, How will I ever change? Romans 10 verse 3 says this. I'm basically just quoting the passage. Paul says, Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. If you want to know what stops you from change, It's you. (laughs) It's you. You stop you from change. When you change the standard of God's righteousness to either appease your desire, then guess what? You're not going to change. It comes down to two things. It is a love of self or a love of sin, which is, again, a love of self. Because why do we love sin? Why do we love sin? It's appealing to something that I want. It's appealing to something that I desire. So ultimately I love myself. And so I will pursue whatever I want in order to love myself. Supposedly. Because it's not real love. We're causing ourselves harm. So when this love is misplaced, there are certain behaviors That are revealed about us. The first behavior is this. Self-reliance. Do you want to know why you struggle to change? It's because you're self-reliant. I've heard this. Many times people come to me and say that they reflect on their struggle with sin. And they say this. I can't believe that I did it again. I can't believe that I keep going back. To this thing. This is sentiment. This, this sentiment reveals a sort of pride proud self reliance in that I can somehow overcome my sinful desire. By myself, in my own wisdom, in my own strength, I can overcome. And that's why we ask the question or, or we make the statement I can't believe I just did that again. As if you have the power by yourself to overcome sin or to change. Another sinful behavior is self-justification. And the root issue is pretty simple. We don't like to think of ourselves as bad people. If you go out on the street and you evangelize and you ask someone if they think they're going to go to heaven... I don't know, maybe I'm shooting high, but eight to nine times out of ten, they're going to say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Really? What makes you such a good person? Uh, Pay tax? Some will say, I go to church. Some will say, I don't swear. I don't drink. I don't smoke. What is that? It's a standard of, of righteousness. It's something we create. The Pharisees did this. They created a standard of righteousness, something that they could achieve. And once they achieve it, they say, but that's the standard. If you can't do this, you can't be saved. It's self-justification. We don't like to think of our hearts as evil. Listen, people don't like hearing the gospel in this context. But without addressing sin, then the gospel is, is not good news. The gospel is good news because we have a saviour that saves from sin. So we try and justify ourselves. We try and justify ourselves to others. We try and even justify ourselves before God. Right? Some would say, but but Lord, you put me in this situation. That's why I sinned. It's your fault. If you had only given me what I prayed for, then this wouldn't happen. I mean we smile about it, we nod, some frown, but people do this, we do this, we bargain with God, we try and justify ourselves before God. Something else that might happen is this, we excuse sin, we excuse it. See in our modern therapeutic world, many people want to simply blame their sin On others or on struggles we might even change the whole idea of sin and call it a problem oh but I struggle with this problem it's not a problem it's sin call it what it is it's sin a problem is when I drive down the road and I get a flat tire that's a problem but me Pursuing my lustful thoughts, indulging in lustful desires, that's not a problem, that's sin. And we shouldn't excuse it. People try and blame their sinful desires and sinful actions, maybe on their family background. Some would try and blame it on the economic situation. Some will say it's their biological makeup. I was born this way. I hear that argument all too often these days. No, 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 but I was born this way. You can't judge. In all of these attempts, people are only trying to excuse the sin that they love. Maybe another behavior that's similar to this is to minimize sin. It's when you admit sin, we kind of just downplay the seriousness of it. Try and downplay the consequence of it. Or try and deny the gravity of sin. People say things like, it's not that bad. Or it's only a small thing. You lie and say, oh, but it's only a small lie. Right? So we're minimizing sin. Do you know someone else that minimized sin? Eve. and Look at where we are today. Okay, so you say, oh, but it's not that serious. Sin entered the world because it wasn't that serious. So we can't minimize sin. People try and compare themselves to others and say, no, no, but they've done worse things. If you have kids, right, or siblings growing up, isn't that how we justified ourselves before our parents? So no, 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 but, but remember when so-and-so broke the window... I only dropped the glass. It's not that bad. Minimize sin. Another one I want to address is hiding sin. We hide sin. That's why you don't change. Because you hide your sin. Proverbs 28, 13 actually warns us about the temptation to hide or conceal our sin from others. Nevertheless, many people foolishly try to hide their sin from other folks because it provides some measure of comfort. Well, what you don't know, right? You don't know what I struggle with because I hide it so well. What does Scripture say? Your sin will catch you out, right? Right? It's coming the day of the Lord is coming but still we kind of get proud when we sin and we're able to hide it it's like I managed to conceal look at that that's why we aren't changing we're not dealing with sin we're not recognizing sin we're not calling it what it is there's a final behavioral pattern That we see. And it's this. Hating the consequence of sin. But not the sin itself. Again I want to use the analogy of of little children. You catch them with a hand in the cookie jar. And suddenly they're sorry. Sorry for what? They're sorry that they got caught. They're not sorry for trying to take a cookie. They're sorry that you caught them trying to take a cookie. And that's what people do. People are sorry that they were caught out. They hate the consequence of sin. And sin always has consequences. So we look at these behaviors. And what does it reveal about us? It reveals our selfishness. Our self-love. That's why we're not changing. We'll come up with maybe New Year's resolutions and say, I want to change. I'll stop speaking this way. I'll stop going there. I'll stop, to, I'll stop speaking to so-and-so. In an attempt for what? Is it an attempt to minimize your sin? Hide your sin? Is it an attempt to prove yourself? Because if it is one of those reasons, you won't change. Christ brings about change. In fact, Christ in His Word says that we need to admit our sin if we want to change. If we want to avoid these behaviors, then confess. Repent. Because that's where change takes place. In our repentance. In our admitting our fault. And recognizing the Savior. His grace. Yes, He'll discipline us. That's the consequence of sin. But there's so much grace. There is a walking in the light. So the question stands. What stops you from change? your sinful pursuit it's my sinful pursuit that stops us from change therefore there's a second question I have this morning what strategies will reinforce your faith and your repentance I mean we need a game plan right we need a game plan if you think we can just come to the Lord and say I'm sorry and not do anything about it do you think change will take place Scripture says, work out your salvation. How? With fear and trembling. So there's a going before the Lord and working out our salvation. Galatians 6, that's our, our text for this point. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, do not be deceived. And then he says, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This passage doesn't call us for moral self-reformation. This passage is calling us to repentance and dependence on God. It requires us to avoid whatever provokes sin. It avoids to avoid whatever strengthens our sinful desire. It calls us to say no to sinful desire. There's something else. It calls us to sowing to the Spirit. I'll explain what that means as well. But firstly, friends, if we want to change, if we want to guarantee that in our walk with the Lord, we will change. The first thing we need to be aware of is to avoid that which provokes sinful desire. Now, listen, in a modern world, it almost seems impossible. Do you know why? The world celebrates sin the world celebrates it I mean you go to you go to a big shopping mall and 10 out of 10 times you will find a half naked lady posted somewhere you will you say but I, I can't avoid no nope. it's there it's there that's just one example television, our phones, social media is filled with this nonsense. We spoke about it at our first men's breakfast, which is this Saturday, by the way. We spoke about our first men's breakfast, about how just in COVID, just in the lockdown, there was more traffic locked onto pornographic websites than Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, put together more traffic on pornographic websites. Crazy, right? The world celebrates it. Here's the thing, we need to avoid that which provokes our sinful desires. Say so if it's lust, Brothers, sisters... Job made a covenant with his eyes. Said, I will not look at another woman lustfully. What are you doing to avoid sinful desires? One illustration I can think of is this. Um, 1 John 2 verse 15 through 17... It tells us that we shouldn't love the world or the things in the world. And so we need to get into the habit of turning off the TV or turning off the radio or turning off our cell phones when they are enticing us with temptations. Get rid of it. Put it down. Walk away. Go on your knees. Pray. Get busy with your hands. Just avoid That which is provoking sinful desire. Run. Joseph ran. He got locked up for it. But he remained pure. That's how we change. That's how we change. When it comes to avoiding whatever strengthens sinful desires... Might For some of us, it might feel like loss or grief when we think of how we need to starve our sinful desires. But how am I going to do that? Now if I'm in such a habit of indulging in my sinful desires, now all of a sudden I have to starve them. So a lot of people feel like as if they've lost something. A lot of people might even go into a mild depression because of grief that they have to now give up something they have enjoyed for years scary isn't it the author of um, you can change puts it this way says these sinful desires they might seem like old friends whom we have loved for many years and nobody likes killing off their best friends. It's pretty frightening when a Christian author puts it in this way, as he writes to other Christians. Therefore, we need to learn to say no to sinful desires. Jesus calls it an amputation, or right? gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. It's radical amputation if you want to say no to sinful desires. We need to direct the desires that sin falsely satisfies. We need to direct those desires to God Himself. What's true about God and what's true about your sinful desires? You may give in to your sinful desire, but for how long will it give you pleasure? For how long will it satisfy you? Only a moment. Only a moment. Because my dear friends... Once that indulgence has taken place, the very next thing is conviction. and Now you feel horrible. Now you feel dirty. And the great thing would be that in that moment you turn to the Lord and repent. But we don't do that. Amen? I'm too dirty now. I can't, I can't repent now. I mean, I'll come back to this later. You know, when I've kind of just cooled off, when I feel a bit better, I'll go before the Lord and I'll repent. Does that happen? No, because later comes and you forgot about it. You might have done it again in the meantime. Friends, when we have a desire or an affection to please God then suddenly our desire or sinful desires are not as strong. They're not as strong. Because now we behold Christ. We behold His glory. We look at His beauty. We look at His promise. We look at His deliverance. All of a sudden, my sinful desire no longer looks that good. Sounds that good right so we say no to sinful desire which leads us to sowing to the spirit sowing to the spirit is about cultivating an affection for god okay the best way to avoid sinful temptation or sinful desire is to pursue the lord is to pursue Now we cannot pursue the Lord without the Holy Spirit. When Paul tells Timothy to flee from sinful desire, he always tells him to pursue righteousness instead. Now how do we pursue righteousness? Because if we pursue it from our own strength, our own wisdom, our own efforts, it's legalism. It needs to be a devotion to our spiritual pursuit. Sowing to the Spirit means filling our hearts with the truth about God. And then it will reinforce our faith, it will reinforce our need for repentance. Go before the Lord, run to the cross. There is where we change. That's how we change. Number three, don't think that you and the Holy Spirit will change by yourself. Right? Let me explain. Number three says, how can we support one another in changing? How can we support one another in changing? Listen, God has the power to change us. And He does change us. But the Lord has also made it so that we play a role in each other's lives. Are you with me? He has made it so that we play a role in each other's lives. Again, Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you... To be tempted and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you want to change, amen? You think I can change in my prayer life. Just me and the Lord. That's how change will happen. Scripture says that change also takes place when we support each other. When we share the burden. See God is in the business of change. And he's put us in a community of change. Therefore the church is one of God's means of grace to reinforce our faith and repentance. But it's also a channel or another channel for a means of grace. And it's this. The church is a community of truth. The church is a community of repentance. And the church is a community of grace. Do you want to change? Here's where we also change. Here is where we grow. Here is where we learn and study the truth together. See, if we are a community of truth, it means that we are to grow like Christ If we are a community of repentance, then we should be a community of confession, accountability, encouragement, and rebuke. When was the last time you called out someone for their sinful pursuits? When was the last time you went to a fellow brother and sister and confessed your sin? When was the last time you went to a brother and sister and asked, will you pray with me? Will you hold me accountable? See, if we're not doing that, we're running around like a bunch of lone rangers, you know? We're here, but we're missing each other. We're not supporting each other. We're not praying for each other. We're not bearing the burden with one another. Scripture says we need to speak the truth to one another. But when we neglect this, there's no unity. There's no change. Kurs says this morning when, when he opened the service, that he's thankful for such a community, a community of, of unity, but this wasn't always our church. We, people would come and go, just be scattered. The Lord has done a work here that has introduced such unity where we have a desire to reach out for one another, where we have a desire to pray for one another. And now that we're there, we need to keep at it. Don't assume that we're always in unity. We need to keep praying for it. We need to keep pursuing it. Listen, we're also a community of grace. This means that when we are open and honest with each other, when we are transparent about our struggles, when we confess our sins to one another, it's not a place of judgment. It's not a place of judgment. If a fellow sister comes to you and and confesses sin, and you're shocked by it, you're appalled by it, it's discouraging. If someone comes to you and they want to confess sin, they want you to pray with them, then that's what we do. We don't judge one another's sin in, in repentance and in confession. Say, but so and so did this. That's so bad. Christ doesn't do that. When we come in confession and repentance, Does Christ say, oh, but you did this, remember? No, He forgives us. So we're a community of grace. When we call out one another, we do that in grace. And so here's how we support each other in the pursuit of change. And it's this, Scripture says, be at peace with one another. Be forgiving, be agreeable, be humble, be accepting, be forbearing live in harmony and then also we can't do this in COVID but scripture says when you greet one another greet one another with a holy kiss it's a symbol of intimacy openness a togetherness if we want to grow and change together then do not judge lie or grumble to one another Instead, show hospitality, confess your sins, be kind, be concerned, be devoted, be in service, instruct one another, admonish one another, and comfort one another. Friends, that's how we change. That's how we change. We need to pursue this as as an ongoing strive to change and conform like Christ. Friends, there's a final question. Are you ready for change? Are you ready for change? You might want to be tempted and say yes. I mean if we have to have an altar call and say everyone that wants to change, come up to the front. We'd be making a mistake. Because right now you might feel inspired motivated but this afternoon when temptation strikes you feel that your best effort this morning was but failure because again you're going to be looking at your self see if you are ready for change you need to understand this in Christ we've been given a new life In Christ, we have been given the ability to obey and serve God. And in this new ability to obey and to serve, it needs to lead to a lifetime of change. If you're not ready to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, then don't say I'm ready to change. Because you might pray and say, oh Lord, forgive me my sin." But then you go and do it again. What kind of prayer is that? I think the prayer should be, Lord, help me overcome this sin. And forgive my trespass." See, as Christians, we are called to a lifetime of change. A lifetime of change. Not a once of change, a lifetime of change. It's called sanctification to keep on changing into Christ's likeness to keep on growing into Christ likeness Paul says run the race right but it's a marathon it's not a sprint it's a marathon faith and repentance are daily disciplines and turning from sinful d- desires in faith today doesn't mean the problem is gone tomorrow I mean, we we might sit for weeks and counsel a lust problem, a relationship problem, and it might go well for months after that, until one day you fall. And now it feels, you're devastated because it feels all that work is undone. It isn't. You have changed. You have been changing. But it doesn't mean... Everything's going to be okay. We will still fall. We will still sin. But we're pursuing change in Christ. This is how Paul puts it in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I can change. He says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's how we change. It's through Christ. Christ has broken the hold of sin in my life. Will I still sin? Yes. You will still sin. But you're not a captive to sin. You're not. In Christ we have been free. He has purchased us. God has given us His Spirit with new desires. And these new desires need to shape new behaviors. In Christ, sin no longer defines you. In Christ, He is changing you. And what does He tell us in Philippians 1 6? He will keep on changing you until the work is done. So it means that change is always possible. That there's no sin that you have to be trapped in, there's no area in your life. That, that cannot be changed. It can. You may feel like. You've been committing the same sin. Over and over and over again for years. There's no way you will change. Christ will change you. Are you ready for change? Because change won't be easy. Putting off your sin. And those behaviours. That's hard because that's in the flesh. But Change will happen. Every time you resist temptation, you will weaken the influence of your sinful desires. Are you ready? Do you desire the Lord to change you? Will you be available to one another for change? Let's give thanks. Lord Jesus, in Your grace, we know that we are called to a life of constant change. A life where we change from sinfulness to holiness. I pray that, Lord, this message would give us a hope. A hope in the sense that no matter what we do in and of ourselves... It is vanity. But to come before you, that is the cause of change. I pray that we would be so aware of your truth and your word that tells us in our pursuit of change, we can make our requests known, that we have a sympathetic high priest, that we have a father, the father of peace who gives us peace. That we can be content in our pursuit of change. Regardless of how terrifying and how hard and how, how overwhelming our sinful desires may seem. You are good. You are gracious. You are glorious. And therefore, let us look to you. Let us compare our vain, wasteful, earthly desires before a glorious throne and let us see with renewed eyes that you will always outweigh our temporary and foolish desires and let change take place in our hearts lord we thank you for this word we give thanks in your name amen